0: Morning, everybody. This morning, you all have given me the privilege of about thirty minutes of your precious time to uh, to share a couple of stories with you. And uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give that an urge and try not to bore you to death whilst doing it. Um, like Tina said, I I'm I'm new at this. This is my second time, so it's gonna be rough. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we open in prayer? Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you and we just thank you that we can come and praise you and worship you. And I pray, God, that you would use this imperfect man's words and that your Holy Spirit would impress something upon people's hearts today, uh, that, that would, they would leave with something new to know about you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so there are three parts to my sermon this morning. Nice little PowerPoint that I threw together this morning. There's David's story, so we're going to have a look at uh, the story of David and Goliath. There's my story, I'm going to share a little story uh, of my life and uh, how God came through for me, and then I'm going to try and relate that back to you, we'll call that your story. So... When we're going through the story of David, I want you to look out for a few things that Tina's already told you about, one of them being trust, and the other being rescue. So we're going to look in the, uh, the book of the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, if you would like to turn there, if you find it helpful to read along with me, then please do, otherwise just listen because I'm going to read it, or you can read along on the screen there, New Living Translation will be up there. We're going to break it into two sections, starting in verse 32 of chapter 17, going to 37. That's verse 37, not chapter 37. And then we'll go from verse 41 to 51. So, First Samuel 17, 32. Don't worry about that Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion and a bear came to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. Now we jump to verse 41, which says, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David. That you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine with those famous words, You come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the living God, the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here, will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over Goliath that day with only a sling and a stone for he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Right, with that hefty bit of scripture, we're now, uh, don't worry too much, you don't have to remember it all. Uh, We're going to go back through it piece by piece. So let's first of all look at what Goliath trusted in. He trusted in his might and weapons, just a little bit in his gods, but mostly he trusted in himself. One of the first things Goliath notices is that David has nothing but a stick. Perhaps he didn't see the sling, or maybe he didn't think much of it, I don't know. He sneers in contempt at this boy coming at him with a stick. And he says, am I a dog? And Goliath's head. He's laughing at David, saying to himself, You have greatly underestimated me. I am not a dog. I am Goliath, the Philistine champion. Then Goliath cursed David in the name of his gods. This shows me that he believes in his gods will help him a little. But as you'll see, this also shows he wasn't relying on his gods to save him. Instead, and by vast majority, he trusts in himself, in his might, in his skill, and in his weapons. When Goliath sees David approaching, you can just imagine it. He laughs. This is going to be easy. I have a sword, a spear, a javelin, and a shield. This is a joke. And that's really all there is for Goliath. He seems to have a little hope in his gods that they will do something, for he cursed David after all. But he truly believed in his own might and skill and weapons. These verses, 41 to 44, show just what Goliath thought of David. He saw from the lens of strength and might in himself. Looking down on this little boy, That he could probably rip in half with his bare hands. He was big. David was small. He was mighty. David was weak. He was skilled and experienced in battle. And David was not. Goliath was sure in himself of victory that day. Now let's look at David's response. In verse 45, David replied to the Philistine, You come to me. With sword, spear, and javelin. I love this because in this sentence and the next one, David is contrasting what Goliath trusts, which is the sword, spear, and javelin, with what he trusts. And he goes on to say, But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, which happens to be the God of this army, whom you have defied. Goliath should be shaking in his boots right now, except that he doesn't know God. David is not afraid. He is literally calling out Goliath, saying, Look, look, mate. You think that because you're bigger and badder and more skilled and experienced at war, oh, and that you've got way better weapons than me, that you're going to win. You think you have victory today. But you don't see what I've got, and you don't know who I know. David is saying, look, I've got nothing in my hand. I don't have might or skill or weapons like you do, but I'm trusting in someone way more powerful than any of those things. Did you see how David saw the situation? He saw that he was outmanned. He was not naive. That Goliath was humanly right. Goliath was big. David was small. He was mighty. David was weak. He was skilled and experienced in battle, and David was not. So from an earthly lens, David was dead to rights. But David saw through spirit-filled lenses. The word rescue gives us some more meat to chew on. And I didn't expect what I learned about this word, rescue. These are some verses that show how the word is used, or these the verses. In verse 35, it says, uh, the, the latter half of the verse says, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. Verse 37, David says, The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. In verse 47, David says, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This word is mentioned four times in the text in three different contexts. The first I want to pick on because it paints a vivid picture of what rescue means. So we'll read it again, verse 35. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. So we see in that picture that the lamb is being rescued by David from the mouth of the lion or the bear. The lamb is hopeless in itself. It is completely at the mercy of the beast, which has no mercy. Someone else is needed to defeat the beast. The lamb cannot defeat the beast nor escape its jaws of death. This is the prerequisite for rescue. These are some things that define when you need rescue. I find it amazing that David knew he was in exactly the same position as that lamb. As he says later on, the Lord, sorry, David says later on, I was rescued by the Lord from the claws of the lion and the bear. So he was both rescuer of his sheep And in need of rescue himself, he knew he couldn't fight and kill a bear or a lion himself unless he had the Lord on his side, and he knew he had the Lord on his side. He does exactly the same thing, I reckon, when he went out to fight the Philistine champion Goliath. I imagine this is not in the in the text, but I imagine he weighs it up in his head like this: Am I stronger than him? No. Am I more skilled at swords than him? No way. Mm. Isn't he way bigger than me with loads more experience and way better weapons than me? Mm. Yeah. Likelihood of winning. One in a million? Chance of survival? Zero? Zero? I don't like those odds. These are human lenses. But he obviously changes his glasses pretty quick because he thinks hang on a minute. Does he have the God of angel armies on his side? The God that brought our people out of the land of slavery with a mighty hand. The one who split the Red Sea and brought his people across on dry land only to swallow up the Egyptian army that followed. No, he doesn't, but I do. I like those odds. David has built up trust in the Lord to overcome what he could not. I have a saying that goes, Who is God? What has he done? And therefore, how shall we live? I have, Who is God first? Because it's what you know and believe about God that will dictate what you do. I'll say that again. It's what you know and believe about God that will dictate what you do. David is a great example of this. When he goes out to fight Goliath in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, David knows God as a mighty warrior. With untold thousands of angel warriors under him, there's no getting past the lead warrior of such angelic forces. I look I look at Goliath, I imagine his height. They reckon he was over nine feet tall, which is 2.7 meters or over 2.7 meters. With that U.S. Marine, don't look at me, U.S. Marine kind of battle-hardened gym junkie body, you know, you know the type? I'd be shaking in my boots, I tell you. Like the rest of the Israelite army, funnily enough. We skipped over that pit, but when Goliath came out and taunted the Israelite army, they ran back away from him in fear. I'd be like them. But David didn't only see his height, or his strength, or his experience. David saw the Lord of heaven's armies, the leader, the head warrior of the army of angels, of any one of them, could slay Goliath in an instant. He saw the God that rescued him from the claws of the lion and the claws of the bear. Then he looked at Goliath, and he saw victory. Did you notice a change in yourself as I shared that story? Did your fear and hopelessness change to confidence and boldness after you heard who God is? It does for me. It really does. And this points out the importance of what we know and believe about God. Carrying on to verse 48. We read, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd bag, taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling, hit the Philistine in the forehead, the stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. So the stone didn't kill David. The sword killed, sorry, the stone didn't kill Goliath. But David with the sword killed Goliath. What did David say before? He said, the Lord will conquer you. That's the stone. It was the Lord who guided and thrust that stone into Goliath's head. The text tells us this was the Lord's bit, the conquering bit, the rescuing bit, the bit that David could not do. I know those slings can, be, can do quite a bit of damage. Dad might remember this. We went hunting one day with, a, with another guy who could use a sling, and we were turkey hunting, and he slung a stone, you know, probably about yay big hit the turkey on the head as it was running up the hill and the turkey just and kept on going. I was amazed that he hit it in the first place and even more amazed that the turkey kept on going. (laughs) Mate, it was the Lord who guided and thrust that stone into Goliath's head. I know they do quite a bit of damage and I'm sure that David probably used a bigger stone and no uh, disrespect to his marksmanship but this was a miracle from God. The fact that the stone flung from David's sling hit Goliath in the forehead, knocked him out, sunk in, knocked him out causing him to fall face down fits exactly with what David said to Goliath would happen. The Lord will conquer you. That's the stone. I will kill you and cut off your head. Another huge part of the story is that David is doing and saying all of this for God's glory. He wants everyone for all time to know that God won this battle. It says in verse 46, or the second half of it, it says, And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. David is not out there for his own glory like that pagan. He is out there for God's glory. As we've read and discussed the text, it will be apparent to you that David was aware that, humanly speaking, he could not win this battle. Saul was right. There was no way you could possibly win, as Saul said. But David knows this, and he does it for the purpose of making God's glory shine brighter. When we, are, when we are weak, he is strong. We all know those words. I hope I've made it clear enough to you that David trusted entirely on God to rescue him. It boils down to this. He put himself in a position that would either see him dead the Lord would work a miracle and bring victory. Just changing tact a little bit, from David's story to mine, the reason I share my story is to point to the God who did what I couldn't. On a boys-only fishing weekend away at Lake Topor, my friend Shawno, along with his mates Sam and Layton, and I, we all met up in Topor on Friday, ready for a big weekend of fishing drinking, and boys doing stupid stuff. Now, I didn't really want to include those last two things on there, but the reality is that I I partook in all of those. I didn't want you to know that because then you'd know that I'm not perfect. But then I realized that that's exactly why I needed to share that, to encourage you, to encourage myself that God uses per imperfect people. Having said that, I've learned a few things since then, and I no longer partake in excessive drinking. <laughs> I can't say I don't do stupid stuff every now and then. <laughs> so, a little backstory: story. Shawno was a student at the agricultural college that I went to, and became a good mate. He came along to church with me for the first time, and I think he only stayed because he started dating a girl there, so... When that relationship broke up, so did his faith. But he learned a few things whilst he was there. He knew a little bit about Jesus, and he still reckons he kind of believes in Jesus, although he doesn't really know him. Sam and Leighton, as far as I knew, were atheists and didn't think much about life beyond the here and now. We had planned this adventure months in advance. So in the lead up to it, I was thinking with the Lord about how I could tell these boys about God. After some thought, I decided I wasn't going to tell them about God. I realized these boys didn't want to hear some dry sermon about how Jesus died for their sin when they had no conviction of it anyway. I believed that if I started Bible bashing them, that I would lose them. And any opportunity that came with. So I then started thinking of other ways that I could reveal God to them. And I thought, and I thought, and I thought, and I thought of nothing. So I left home that morning to drive down with an expectation that God would show up in some way that weekend. But I had no idea how. I decided I would take the weekend as it came. I would just be myself entirely, which meant I would not hide my faith, but neither would I force it down their throats. So if I wanted to thank God for a beautiful day, or sing a gospel song, because I love to sing, then I would. I would force nothing, but I resolved to simply be myself. So the weekend came, we all loaded into Sam's boat that Friday, launched at Kinloch, and took off full of enthusiasm about the prospect of fresh cooked trout for dinner. With our enthusiasm slightly dampened, we went out on Saturday after Friday's seeming defeat. We fished all of that glorious Saturday, lapping up the glassy water reflecting vibrant sunbeams pouring down upon four growingly frustrated fishermen, having not had so much as a nibble for over ten hours of hard labor. (laughs) The sun was getting low in the sky. What a joke. (laughs) The sun was getting low in the sky now, and we were starting to talk of heading home for the night. And as I was sitting there watching the boys, staring hopelessly at the lines in the water, a thought crossed my mind. But more than that, it impressed upon my heart. Do you ever get that? Do you ever get a thought in your mind that also impresses itself upon your heart? The thought was, pray. Ask God for a fish. So after years of suppressing such thoughts and refusing to act on them because of my own pride and the possibility of embarrassment, I've learned to trust that this is a God thing. And I don't want to miss out on the opportunity of seeing God work miraculously through me. So I prayed. It was a very simple prayer. It went something like this. And it was out loud for the boys to be a part of Dear Lord, thank you for this wonderful day that we could be out here fishing. And it was a gorgeous day. I know that you are the creator of all things. And I believe that you can give us one fish. So Lord, I'm asking, would you please give us just one fish tonight? I didn't say amen because I didn't want to embarrass the boys that might not be comfortable saying that. Then, silence. As I was waiting, I had peace. I believed entirely that the Lord could do what I had asked but I had no worry because if he didn't I knew he'd have a good reason so I left it there and just enjoyed the peace and quiet of the tiny waves lapping at the boat's hull as I watched the Lord paint another magnificent sunset one that just invokes peace as I stared in awe and then it happened we packed up and went home. <laughs> Lines up, boys. Time to get out of here. No, no I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have a video clip of what happened next. It was fish on, baby. Less than three minutes later. I, I'm not sure. We're on. Fish on. <laughs> Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Oh. <laughs> Don't let him get away. Don't let him get away. Oh, that's the colour. oh. oh, yeah. yes. oh he's decent. Yep, yep. Oh, he's going, he's running. Oh, rainbow. Oh, he's a good one. <laughs> yeah, <boys. laughs> Look at that. Look at that. we done. Let's go home. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, well, there's more down there as well. beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Give me some, brother. There you go. Yeah, we're done. Let's go home. <laughs> I only asked for one. <laughs> I actually said that to the boys. <laughs> we only asked for one. Let's go. But they said, no, nah, no, nah, there's more fish down there. I can see them on the sonar. I said, but we're not going to get any. <laughs> and we didn't. <laughs> anyway, that fish was forever known as the Jesus fish they called it the Jesus fish I called it the Jesus fish I've s- still yet to ask them uh, about it again because that was not too long ago maybe four or five or six months ago time flies when you're having fun but Sean told me that on the way home Sam had told him this is his mate Sam I don't know what Josh did, but it worked. Now, he's got that wrong because it was nothing that I did. Right? In fact, it was the opposite. There was no way that I could do it. And I hope that he will see that one day. But in the meantime, it makes me happy that these guys might remember the, tiny, the time they went fishing and caught the Jesus fish. That, I hope, will mess with their heads until they turn and believe the Lord. So, we've jumped around a bit, but to recap, Goliath trusted in himself. He had human lenses. David trusted in God entirely. He had human and spirit lenses. To David... God was a mighty warrior and a rescuer of his people. I trusted in God. I had human and spirit lenses. To me, God is the creator of all things and therefore able to do anything with it. Trust hangs on knowing God, but knowing God makes it easy to trust. So how do you know God? What do you know and believe about God? What immediately comes to mind when I ask that? A.W. Tozer said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now thank the Lord He is merciful. And this is something that we can grow and spend the rest of our joyous lives growing into. There are so many great things to take from these stories. But I think it all boils down to, what do you know and believe about God? What comes to your mind when you think about God? Where do we go to learn who God is? I say we can see aspects of his character and creation. Theologians call this general revelation. And then there's specific revelation which we need to look in the Word of God for. Specific revelation is how God has specifically revealed Himself to us by His own Word, by His own action. So my encouragement is for each of us, myself included, to get into the Word of God more. Wherever you're at, Just do a little more, whatever it is, whatever is manageable for you and your life. And I specifically say more because there's no limit to the amount that you can saturate yourself with God. There is no limit to the knowing of God. But there is also life to be lived. And so it's a balance, isn't it? Thank you for listening to me this morning. Let me close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you use broken people, that you are merciful, and that you forgive. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood shed on the cross that covers all of my sin. Praise you, God, for who you are, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Amen.